0: Welcome to the Wealth Builders Podcast. I'm Billy Epperhart, and on this show, you're going to hear from industry leaders in business, real estate, and investing. Our Wealth Builder coaches and myself are excited to teach you how to make sense of making money for making a difference. Okay, let's get started.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's Wealth Builders Podcast. I'm Karen Conrad and I'm so blessed that you join us today. And I've got a super awesome guest with me, Frank Pulley. Hey, Frank, thanks for joining us today.
0: Karen, thanks for inviting me. As you know, it's always my pleasure.
1: Well, Frank is like a superstar coach on a real estate and business team for wealth builders. He is so full of information and knowledge. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go through questions that we haven't been able to get to on our various webinars. And today's topic is going to be real estate. And this week, Frank, if just in a couple of days when this airs, we're going to be all gathering together for the real estate conference in Denver. And uh, we're so excited. There's a lot happening in the market right now, a lot of opportunities. Many of you are joining us. I did want to let you know that it's not too late if you want to join us by live stream. Uh, The in person's actually been sold out for several weeks now, now, but you can learn more at wealthbuilders.org org/events. And we do a lot of free webinars that's part of really the vision and the heart that Billy and Becky have at Wealth Builders is to get this information out free of charge just like this podcast and um we'll do web- webinars where people can ask questions. But sometimes we run out of time. And so, this is kind of one of those podcasts that we're going to go through a lot of the unanswered questions and give you some good information on real estate. So, Frank, are we ready to get started?
0: We're ready.
1: All right. So, here's a question that came in. And the question is How do you know you are not overpaying for an owner occupied home? What do you think about that, Frank?
0: Well, I think if it's an owner occupied home and you're working with a realtor or even if you're buying it, um, you know, from just a seller, I think what you do is you go on one of the, you know, websites, realtor.com, Zillow, Trulia, and don't look at the uh, Zestimates or whatever, but look at what was recently sold in your area, same beds and baths and that sort of thing. And you want to pay a a price close to that, Um, you know it's not an investment home so you're not really restricted by um the formulas and stuff but you also if you're going to get a loan on it you want to make sure that uh, ideally you're not overpaying because it won't appraise and that money you'll have to bring to the table that being said if you're looking for homes and you find this diamond in the rough and it is the one and you slightly overpay for it that's not a problem if you're doing that with an investment home, that's a problem.
1: That's really good, Frank, and that's um a great way to help people to know that there there is a difference with an owner occupied meaning that that's the desire of your heart. While you don't want to way overpay, you really do have to pay attention to what your desires are for a home. And I also like how you brought in the cash buyer versus maybe the lender. The lender yeah gives us a little protection, you might say, in that it does need to appraise. I think where people can get into a little bit of trouble in this, if they're not aware of what you described and the steps that you you were explaining for us to take is, they don't have that appraisal in place that's going to sort of say, hey, you're overpaying for this home. And then that's too where a good real estate agent comes into play because a real estate agent's going to pull those comps. If you are looking at overpaying, they're going to be able to tell you that. Um, and then uh, you, you can make a decision based on that. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter. People are like, I just want this house, depending on the financial position they're in. But if you're especially a first time home buyer, uh, you know, this is really your first step to building wealth. And so it's not going to be your last home, right, if you're starting out. So I think especially if you're new, I would pay a lot more attention to making sure you're not overpaying because you will probably outgrow that home and you want it to be a good investment for you so that you've got more of a down payment to go into your next property.
0: That sounds good, Karen. That's great comments.
1: All right. So here is the next question. When does it make sense to pay for points on a mortgage in this high interest climate uh, when you're hoping to do a refinance? Frank, what do you think about that?
0: Well, um, I think, you know, in talking with Billy, he says, if you get your money back within five to seven years, Uh, on, you know, saving of uh, obviously, I wouldn't pay a lot of points unless number one, I had really bad credit, which I don't, and wanted to buy, you know, something and I needed to do that. But more sense, it makes uh, a, a, a payment buy down or interest rate buy down. And if you can recoup the money within five to seven years, it's normally a pretty good deal. But then again, you know, When are you going to hope to refinance? If it's going to be really soon, that may not be for you. What do you think, Karen?
1: Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And I, you know, I was in banking for a long time. I did a lot of mortgages and it really is a mathematical calculation. It's like, okay, how much is this reducing my payment and where do I land? And I think when we're in a higher interest rate environment, um, I'd, I'd really pay attention to how long I think I'm going to stay in the house because if it's something where I'm going to live there, maybe three years. And like you say, even if you get it back in five to seven, but if I'm, if I'm going to move right. in three years, right. Yep. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to do no. the buy down. I think also interest rates right now, they seem to have capped out a bit. Yeah. Um, are you seeing that too, Frank?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm still seeing uh uh, lenders kind of competing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for business. So what what the feds actually put the rate at is not necessarily what you're going to pay if you've got some decent credit.
1: Right. And that's where buying down a mortgage with the idea to refinance it's really important to stay in tune with what's happening with the market. So it it seems at this point that the indicators are, unless something changes, which it absolutely could, that interest rates perhaps have peaked. Matter of fact, I heard someone come out with the Fed and say that they felt like they had hit the mark and it was starting to have with the bank failures and things, they had to balance you know, hey, is raising interest rates going to cause another problem and and do we need to cap out here? And they seem to describe the intent they were going to cap out. The reason I'm bringing that into the conversation on on this question with points is that the opportunity to refinance at a lower rate could happen, um, you know, in, in a short period of time, especially politically, if things can shift in 2024 where we have more of that conservative, you know, the way that that President Trump ran things, and chances are, if, if that's the case, the interest rates will go down, so then you wouldn't get the full benefit of the payment of those points. Anything Great. you want to add to that, Frank?
0: No, those are just really good comments, Karen, and having that bank experience has, has really been helpful for our coaching uh, program uh, with you having that experience
1: oh thank you so much you know there's also there's some creative products out there you were mentioning that there's some competition between mortgage lenders because the refinance market of course just fell out well i i had heard and i don't know if you've heard about this product frank um but there is a product that is coming out or is on the market right now with some lenders where understanding where the market is right now, they actually price your first three years under market. Uh-huh. And then after three years, it kind of goes up to where the market is. And if it's, you know, I'm not a gambler by any means, but if there is a strong sentiment, if someone really feels like interest rates are going to go down, even a product like that to get into a property without having to go to the market interest rate without paying points could be something to look into.
0: Yeah, that sounds, that sounds excellent. I've heard Rumblings of it, but I I haven't actually heard anything substantial. So it sounds like uh, you you've heard some solid information on that.
1: Yeah, and Great. you always have to take a look close look at those products. But yep. I do think that that people are getting a little creative without um, risking like it happened in two thousand eight, yeah. two thousand ten. Yeah. Okay. Here's a question, um, and and the question is: Do we use price per square foot? for considering purchasing a property only, or are there some other things that we should be looking at to make sure that we understand how much to pay for a home, Frank?
0: Well, we talked about, you know, looking at past solds and things like that. One of the things you want to do is look at if solds, uh, past sold six months ago and listing prices are down, You want to adjust because that means the market is declining down a little bit. Now, we've been really fortunate. The market has not dropped out, and I don't think it's going to. But there are a number of parameters that one needs to look at for price comparing, whether it's owner-occupied or or investment home. It's really about the same. You know, price per square foot is one benchmark. But, you know, number of beds and baths, um, you know, where the location is, the type of neighborhood it is. Um, you know, there are a lot of parameters that go into especially an owner occupied. But these are things we also look at in comparing to other properties as a real estate investor.
1: That's really good, Frank. And so much of this depends on the market. I mean, one of the things that that Billy says and Bill Bronchek and we say is that real estate is really a local business. Yes. You can look at yes. national averages and trends, right, and get an idea, but so much depends on your local market. So one of the things um, that we teach in the real estate coaching and share with people is you kind of have to lift up the hood of the car a little bit in, in see what's really making things work. And with this question, price per square foot, I think is a great guide, just like Frank, you were describing, but there's, there's other things like you were sharing too. And one of them, the market that we're investing in in Florida, there is a big difference between the condition of homes. And so if there is maybe a 3-2 on the market, 1,300 square foot, and it's really outdated, uh, it's going to be at a lower price per square foot. And the key is, especially in the flip area, if you're looking at price per square foot to buy a flip, is looking at updated homes, right? What are those price per square footages? So it's kind of finding those the gaps in the market, but finding the parameters that are driving prices up or leaving them low in price per square foot. So for example, this is not in every market because in Minnesota, for example, um, you know, there's different things when we had homes there that drove prices there. But one of the things we found in our market that a swimming pool, if there is a swimming pool in a property it is driving not only the price per square foot that that house will sell for up, but it is shortening the amount of time that it's on the market. Well, if I took that to the, my reference with Minnesota, we had a pool there. It actually could drive down your price, or if nothing else, it didn't gain anything to it. So, some of the price per square foot is you have to pay attention to what is in this property, and one of the things that you could do is is get to you know, good comparisons of uh, go into realtor.com, go to the filter that says just sold. And if you find a similar property, let's say that three two at 1300 square foot, one selling at maybe $290 per square foot, and the other one is selling at $600 a square foot, just do a good analysis and write down what are the differences between these properties. In that case, maybe one is a block from the beach. And another one is you know, three blocks from the beach. Maybe one is a swimming pool, one doesn't. One is an updated kitchen, one doesn't. Anyway, you can actually determine what is driving that square footage price per square foot. And then if you can get four or five samples and that's gonna help you to be able to navigate through the price per square foot and also get a good indication of what that might appraise for. And if you're purchasing it for an investment property, Then you, of course, want to make sure that despite the price per square foot, it's still going to either work as a flip with those comps that you're looking at, or it's going to meet all those other indicators that we share about 1%, $300, your 10 to 20% cash on cash return that will help you also analyze it. So these are those things that we really get into with the coaching and and you'll hear about this weekend as well with the real estate workshop. Um, But it's exciting. You can tell we're passionate about real estate, right, Frank?
0: Yes, we are.
1: (laughs) All right. Here's a great question. What are your thoughts on getting a multifamily house to rent for a first time home buyer? Frank, what do you think about that?
0: Well, I uh, I think it, it's actually a good idea, but I think you have to have a bit of a reality check. First of all, um, you might find that it might be a little bit harder to qualify because they tend to be a little more expensive. But if you've already got tenants in there or or have a plan to make sure it cash flows out, the advantages of a multifamily house is that if you lose one tenant, you know if you've got a, a a duplex or a triplex i mean you still got some more income coming in i think if you're going to live as a first-time home buyer in the property itself i think it's important that you represent yourself as a manager for the property not as an owner otherwise you're going to be getting calls 24 7 from people and you know uh, i think that uh just Representing yourself as a as a manager is is important, and you also want to put it into an entity. But we'll we'll talk a lot more about entities and asset protection at the uh, uh, real real estate workshop this weekend.
1: That's great, and Frank, there is financing options through FHA and Fannie and Freddie. Is it up to four units?
0: It is, yes.
1: So it is a way like, like if somebody is wanting to get into cash flowing right away, they don't mind sharing walls and floors with somebody. Um, There is a way to get in that for a very minimum down payment as a owner occupant with a multifamily. And I think the question is, if somebody does that, how long do they have to live there or is there any issues if they move out and rent their unit in like 12 months? Any guidance on that, Frank?
0: Well, I think they're supposed to live there at least a year. And actually, and you probably know more about this than I do, but I believe there's an FHA 203K loan that's available. As, uh, and, and if you buy the property um, reasonably enough, they'll actually, uh, in addition to the purchase price, fund the rehab um, but the stipulation is you've got to live there, I believe, for at least a year. So, but that might be a great way. I think it's only 3% down. So
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And and that would be something that'd be actually a great thing for somebody to look yeah. into to get started in investing that has some flexibility, right?
0: absolutely there's a little paperwork involved with it but uh honestly i you know i think it's well worth it if you want to get get started and not have to put a ton of money in and your credit rating is i don't know in the mid 600s and above i think you have a good chance of getting that loan
1: that's great All right, here's a question. This is a two-part question, so I'll read them both. What are your thoughts on buying investment property before your personal home during this time of low inventory? And when does it make sense to use the money which may be needed for the personal home to purchase an investment property, Frank?
0: Well, that's kind of a loaded question. Um, You know, I think if you are an investor and you understand what it is you're looking for in a personal home and we've already discussed kind of those parameters but also if you're uh you know uh, educated enough to know what you're looking for in an investment property you know those may be two different locations so um you know you can certainly start to look for, to look for a personal home in your area and if that happens to pop up well I you know i guess go forward with it but you know, it's not uncommon for people to be searching for a personal home and then they run across something that they wouldn't want to live in necessarily, but it would be a great home for an investment. And I don't know that, I, I think you just have to trust the Lord and and uh, look at which one pops up first, okay? The second part, one does it make sense to use the money that may be needed for the personal home? Well, uh, I guess sometimes you have to look at the big picture. The big picture is if I am looking for a personal home, but I'm comfortable where I'm living at the present time, but I find a smoking deal on an investment property, well, you know, I put my money into the investment property and then, you know, wait two or three years so that thing starts cash flow a little bit, hopefully build some equity, and then it might make sense to look for that personal home or vice versa.
1: Yeah that's really good Frank and I've been surprised at the number of people that we have talked to even in the coaching program that have actually done it in this order where they're buying the investment property first and uh even Troy is you know they he's one of our coaches is yeah. in this position and I think it's definitely personal choice where you're happy where you live But a personal example is Levi did this because um, he was traveling so much for work that it didn't make any sense for him to pay rent or to have his own place because he was only home, you know, one to two weeks a month. And so we're just like, Levi, there's no reason for you to pay rent or get a house payment for you personally because he's traveling so much. So he took his money that he saved up and he went right into investment properties, which has been a real blessing financially. So that was just a personal situation that he found himself in that we're just like, let's look at this and and do what makes sense. And I think there there is a lot of opportunity there for people that if they're younger and they're able to live at home and it's working for everybody, this could be a nice way to kind of kickstart their investment and their wealth building journey.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: All right. Here's another question. This is a good one. Does it make sense to put a larger down payment to make sure that I can yield the $300 a month or does that defeat the purpose?
0: Well, that does defeat the purpose because, I mean, one of the things we teach in the Wealth Builders Coaching Group is that, I mean, unless you're like Billy Epperhart, you can afford to pay cash for properties. But most of us, we're looking on the return on our investment. And so that means how quickly are you going to get your down payment back? Well, if you pay cash for a house or a larger down payment, your return on investment isn't going to be as good. We're looking at, and again, this can vary a little bit, but if you put 20% down on a property and, uh, you know, um, Everything else is, you know, you you figure out your formulas. What is what we do in the Wealth Builders Coaching Program? We help you analyze that property, and if you have a three hundred dollar a month net cash flow, that means after all expenses, then that's probably a pretty good deal. We have some other parameters we use too that we'll be covering this this coming weekend. But putting. Larger down payments doesn't always make sense. You know sometimes uh, if it's an investment property, you may have to put twenty five to thirty percent down. But if you got to put more than that, um, I can just tell you uh, from experience and and experience of others, unless you're uh, Bill Gates or or somebody like that, if you continue to put larger down payments on properties, you're going to run out of money. and that defeats the purpose.
1: That's so good Frank. You know one of the things you taught me how to calculate is cash on cash return. Yeah. And we a- added that or made sure that's in the parameters that we'll be sharing a lot more on this weekend. Yeah. But that is such a great calculation because even if it meets the 1%, even if it meets the $300, when you do that cash on cash return, which means, you know, the amount of cash you have to put into a a deal let's just say i'm putting $30,000 into a deal you want to have a net cash flow after all expenses are paid uh between $3,000 and $6,000 a year and uh, again there's a lot of details too that 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 we don't have time to go into on the podcast But that is also one of those things to bring in because we have had coaching clients that they want a property and uh, they they put so much down and we're just saying, hey, if the numbers don't work at that 20%, like Frank described, even if you're putting more down, you still need to show that it's gonna work at 20%. It's just a great guardrail to make sure that you're staying within the safe parameters for investing.
0: If the numbers are right, they don't lie.
1: That is exactly right. All right. Uh, here's a question on a HELOC. Okay. And the question is: does getting a HELOC increase your monthly payment as far as how you disclose to a lender uh, you know, what you owe? What do well, you, you think,
0: I, Frank? Yeah, you may have some more insight on this, but a HELOC is great because. Normally, you can get one at a reasonable uh, rate, but you don't pay for it unless you use it. And sometimes uh, you have the ability to maybe uh, pay that, that back quickly. Um, but I think that, uh, yes, it's going to increase your monthly payment. You're going to have a mortgage and your, your HELOC. But once again, if we calculate how you're going to use it, when you're going to use it, and how long you're going to use it, and how much that's going to cost you, uh, sometimes it makes a lot of sense rather than doing a, a cash out refi, because if we did cash out refis 18 months ago, we would refinance, with, uh, you know, at three, uh, 4%. Now it's going to cost you a lot more. So your house payment's going to go up. So using HELOC, I think is smart.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, especially right now with the interest rate environment. And one thing to be aware of with the HELOC is it's not something that's meant to be out there where you keep a balance long-term. Ideally, you use it, you do the cash out refi and and uh, or sell it or whatever it might be, depending on what you're doing with the flip or if you're actually wanting it as a burr or buy and hold. Um, but one thing to keep in mind, and this again is kind of bringing in my banking background is when you do a HELOC, Even if you don't have a balance on it, the way that a lender is going to underwrite that is they are going to figure out what your payment would be if you maxed out your line. And the reason is, is that you have the ability to pull that line up to whatever you're approved for. And that would be an obligation that even though the payment today is zero because you don't have a balance on it, that would be an obligation that they will include in the underwriting. So sometimes if people get a HELOC, they don't understand because there's zero balance on it that an underwriter is actually going to look at that and calculate it as if there is a balance which will make your debt ratios higher. So just keep that in mind. All right. Here's a good question. We have a lot of international people, Frank, that join us on webinars and probably are listening today. And we are so excited about that. And of course, we're expanding internationally. But there is a question coming in from Canada. And the question is, do you teach real estate investing in Canada as well? And then the second part of that question is, I live in Canada, can I invest in real estate in the US? What do you think about that, Frank?
0: Well, we have uh, coaching students from all over the world and um, Canadian citizens can buy investment homes, et cetera, in the US. There's not really any restrictions, um, you know, uh, you're gonna wanna go through the proper challenge. You can actually get a Canadian uh, uh, lender or a US lender uh, as long as you qualify. Um, it, it's really all about the numbers and making sure you've got a good team on the ground that if you were buying rentals in, let's just say in uh, Louisiana, that you've got people there that can kind of keep a, an eye on it and make sure that it's you know collecting rents and making sure it's fixed up and things like that. The only thing I, uh, I do know, um, and Karen, you might help me out with this, is, um, and I'm not an attorney, but I believe if you're forming entities in the United States, there's a bit of a restriction, but it's easily gotten around.
1: Yeah. And if somebody is going to stay living in Canada or another country and purchases real estate in the US, it seems like there, there's a pretty clear path for that. In particular, Canada. Not all countries are the same. So we'll stay with right. talking about Canada here. It is clear, but but some things to think about is um. If you purchase it, there could be some tax consequences between the U.S. and Canada. So you really want to look into that and understand what this might do from a tax perspective. And I agree with the entity getting an attorney that's very familiar, specializes in real estate and something Mm -hmm. specializes in being from Canada. Where it gets really complicated is if you want to Live in the US. That's a whole different story because then you have to bring in immigration. And there is some limitations with visits and and things like that. The other thing is um, when you come in from Canada or another country into the U.S., you still have to follow all the U.S. rules. So the rules here within HOA or community, whatever, may be different than what you have in Canada. So just make sure, like Frank mentioned, you've got that team that is following those guidelines for you. Um, And also, you know, the principles that Billy teaches uh, and that we all teach as part of Wealth Builders, they really are principles that you can take pretty much to every country. However, there are different laws, processes in each country. So it's sort of like the principles, the foundation of the information really ties back to biblical principles of building wealth, your ratios, cash flow is transferable. But some of the details of the transactions from the U.S. compared to other countries can be very different. So just keep that in mind that you really need to sort of filter it through anything that could be special about the processes in your country. All right, here's a question, Frank. How can one begin to take the steps to purchase real estate?
0: Well, I think, by attending the wealth builder real estate workshop. I mean, there are numerous steps. None of them are really, uh, what should I say, complicated, but you really need to be educated and know what to do. And a lot of this has to do with, you know, how much you spend for a property, how much you put into it. All of those are formulas we can use that are dependable. Um, And then, you know, Things like getting a good account, uh, making sure you have a real estate agent that works with investors, not your regular real estate agent. Having a team of people, you know, like an appraiser, an inspector and all of those things. Those are things that you can kind of build your foundation on, but nothing, nothing replaces a good education.
1: That's really great. And um, as Frank mentioned, we'll be sharing a lot on that this weekend at the conference. But one thing that that we do consistently let people know, especially in the market, it's a pretty tight market, is you've got to get pre-approved or have your financing in order before you seriously start looking at real estate. Because it is competitive and real estate agents, um, they're going to ask you for that because they don't want to waste their time looking at properties with you if you don't have the capability to actually move forward with a purchase. So if you're saying, what's my first step? Um, I really think talking to a lender is probably a really good thing. Or if you've got the cash, of course, you're taken care of. All right. And here's another question. This is, um, do we speak with property management to put our home up for rent? Is that the first step that we take? Frank?
0: Well,, um, I think that there may be some things you want to. i'm I'm just assuming that that you have uh, a house already that you want to rent, okay? And if that's the case, I mean, certainly uh, a property manager can help you kind of fill in the gaps. They can get you market rent, They can vet your tenants. they can, you know,, uh, make sure that they're they're paying on time they can take care of repairs i mean there's a lot of things that you can you can have them do Uh, that being said i you know i'm self-managed my first several uh properties and i think there's a lot to learn from that but i was also educated so and and then also the property manager make sure that you know that it's not a fly-by-night property management company because there are a lot of those out there you want somebody that's solid going to give you solid advice and you know maybe you pay another percent or more than a uh, than a another property management company but as as far as i'm concerned quality is well worth it as long as the pricing is in line with you know quality management
1: that's really good frank and you know i know you and troy and mike actually talk and teach a lot on property management got yeah. a lot of information on that in the coaching program and i'm sure part of the process with this question coming forward is like how do you determine um the amount of rent that 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 you should charge and you can do that by looking at realtor.com. If you do have a real estate person, um, even if they're not a property manager, they can help you determine that. And then another thing to look at is what are your HOA restrictions? If you live in a property with an HOA, you have to check to see what, what can I do and what can't I do as far as rentals. I'm assuming that this is probably a buy and hold or a long-term rental, but a lot of people are looking at vacation rentals or short-term rentals, executive rentals, and that can have some restrictions in particular with your HOA. So just make sure you check that out
0: too. And I believe Troy and I are speaking on, do I need a property manager and what to take care of uh, here at the workshop? So
1: Yes, you are. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, so you. to tune into that for property management information. Okay, here's our final question. And this is a question we get a lot. Frank, is it a good time to buy or should we wait?
0: Karen, it's a good time to buy anytime that the numbers align to make you a profit. you know, A lot of people are sitting on the fence right now, which I believe reduces our competition as real estate investors. And I believe that uh, um, those that are in the know and know what to look for, um, there are deals to be had. You might have to look a little harder, but that's okay. Um, They're there. I mean, Billy, Bill Bronchick and myself were investing when uh, interest rates were eight or 10% and we made money. That just, uh, you know, you just have to line up the formulas, know what you're doing and, uh, um, you know, Th- there's no reason not to to invest right now as long as you find something that's a deal.
1: That is great. That's such great advice, Frank, and the opportunity, there's definitely opportunities in the market right now, but that's the beauty of what Billy and Becky have put together at Wealth Builders is, you know, gives you the how to, the parameters the uh, knowledge of how to assess something. And then, you know, Frank, you were sharing this the other day, we were talking is, and you check in with the Holy Spirit. Like, is this a property? Is there a check in my spirit to not go forward, to go forward? So we have so many tools available. And it's really encouraging to hear when you got into real estate investing, interest rates were higher than they are today. And I think because we've been in such a low interest rate environment, we think that if we're not at 2 and 3% or 4% that we can't make money, and that's not the case.
0: We're spoiled. We were spoiled.
1: <laughs> we were spoiled. I think, oh my gosh, why didn't I buy like so many more properties, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, but you know what? Right now, Karen, is yeah. really kind of the way the market, the average has been for off and on for a long time.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, history is a great teacher yep wonderful well frank thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today you can all tell how full of wisdom and experience frank is he's truly a blessing to all of us i know he's a blessing to all of you and in particular the the coaching clients um we just really love having frank on the wealth builders team so we hope to see you this weekend. Thank you again for joining us. If you have any questions that you want answered, you can email us at info at wealthbuilders.org. And if you've not yet subscribed to receive emails, we send out so much free content. We have the most amazing Wealth Builders team putting information together. So you'll you'll definitely want to be in our email list and keep up to date with the things that are happening. And to do that, you can go to wealthbuilders.org and hit subscribe subscribe. To learn about our upcoming events, go to wealthbuilders.org forward slash events. Thank you again for being part of the Wealth Builders family. On behalf of Billy and Becky Epperhart, they thank you so much for being connected. God bless you and make it a great rest of the day.
0: Thanks, everybody. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Builders Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review the show. You want to learn more about who we are? Visit our website at wealthbuilders.org and check us out on Facebook. We'll see you next time.